didn't do another one because most of you just got in here for like the last two verses of that song. I was like, it's probably not your fault because I was long-winded this morning. It was my fault, you know, and you all need your time to get yourself settled and Alaska time and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, I won't give them such a hard time about it. But I'll try to make a joke about it. So like, I'm not really kidding. <laughs> There's some truth in that, you know. It was my fault, not yours. <clears throat> so cut you a break this time. But that being said, we should not take this portion of our service for granted. Yeah. It's a blessing to sing praise unto the Lord. And there's many messages in those songs that are definitely worthy to get our minds and hearts ready and tuned to the Word of God. And part of our schedule, obviously, is that people are coming and going. Uh, but, but we ought to want to be here. We ought to want to get in here and be a part of the song service and to praise the Lord and, and to participate, be active in that. Amen. So don't take it for granted. Be encouraged, rather, instead, okay? And uh, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Lord willing, we're going to get back into our series that we started regarding finding calm in a chaotic world, dealing with issues of anxiety uh, we, and fear. And we've, we've been working through Philippians chapter 4 related to that and the principles that are laid out for us there and Lord willing next week we'll get back into that study uh, and I'll hopefully you haven't forgotten about it and I, I'm prayerful that it's been encouraging to you but today I want to encourage you uh, more just kind of the tail end of our missions conference and just the idea though and the thought to encourage you to, to a life that is a life that is fully surrendered to the Lord. Um, that's an important reminder that we need, and, and probably in some ways a daily reminder, uh, that, that our life is to be lived in service to the Lord. My life, the reason God gives me existence, is to serve Him and honor Him. And, and so... I want to encourage you with that today. And I direct your attention to Acts chapter 20. And we're going to look at verses 22 to 27. And in, in, in the life of the Apostle Paul here, and his mindset and his heart is laid out for us as Paul called the elders of the church at Ephesus together to, to exhort them, to encourage them, to take heed unto themselves, unto the flock that the Lord had given them encourage them in their own ministry, and he lays out some things from his own life that really give us an idea of his heart and his mindset. And I want to direct your attention to verse 22, where Paul says in, in Acts 20, verse 22, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So he's saying here, I'm compelled, bound in the Spirit of God. The Lord wants me to do this, to go to Jerusalem. And I don't know exactly what's going to happen there, but I do know this. 
that the Holy Spirit has told me that wherever I go, bonds and afflictions are going to await me. And so I know that part. But then he says in verse 24, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I want to talk to you today about finishing our course. Finishing our course. And Paul says, in verse 24, he says, None of these things, the bonds and afflictions, move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. So I want to talk to you about finishing your course. I want to encourage you today and a reminder in a, in a life, live a life that is fully, fully surrendered to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us today and give me liberty as well and clarity of thought as we walk through these principles, and I pray that they would be encouraging to this church, to your people, that the life that you've given to us is to not be lived for self, but to, to be lived in full surrender to the Lord, to be used of God. And I pray, Lord, that that would be the heart of everyone, and maybe one is not called into full-time ministry per se as in preaching the gospel but we are called into ministry we are given a ministry we do have a responsibility our life is not to be lived to work a job and gain wealth and plan a retirement although those are necessary things the highest priority though is my life belongs to the lord and lord i want you to use me so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us with that thought today as we look through the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. It's always easy to begin something new because something new often has a measure of excitement to it. Like, you know, I, I personally don't feel like, you know, starting a new diet is exciting or anything like that. I'm not talking about something like that, but... But you know what, if it's a new endeavor or a new adventure or if it's a, a new relationship or if it's something like that, maybe, maybe even a new job for some people, there's a measure of excitement that, is, that goes along with it when something is brand new and it's beginning. But life, as you know, is not a sprint. It's not a 50-yard dash. It's a marathon. And the trick or the thing about life is not just beginning well, but finishing well. Because it's a measure of faithfulness. Finishing well. There have been many who have gotten excited about serving the Lord in some way. We've got this brand new ministry. We start out with gusto. Maybe it's sometimes when people are a man is called into ministry and he's a pastor or a preacher. Maybe he starts out with a lot of gusto, but then as time goes on, he's hit with some criticism. Or he finds that, that people don't respond to the ministry as positively as he had hoped. And 
Maybe there's conflicts that arise. Maybe stress builds up. Maybe that stress spills over into other relationships and so on. And after a while, men end up leaving the ministry with a lot of bitterness and cynicism because it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. But nobody wants that. Nobody starts out like that. Paul didn't want that for the elders of the church at Ephesus. This is why he called them together to encourage them to take heed unto themselves and over the flock and to, and to warn them that even among you there's going to arise grievous wolves. And, and he, he was concerned about them in their own ministry. He didn't want that for himself either, certainly. It's not something that we would desire for ourselves to, to falter and to fail. Rather, we would desire that we finish strong, maybe sprint over the finish line rather than dropping out of the race. And so Paul is sharing from his own life experience, even the secrets maybe, if you want to call it that, to, of a ministry that runs strong until the very end of life. When Paul was writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, he wrote a letter and he, and he said to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 4, in verse 7, that I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I've kept the faith. What a great commentary on the life of a servant of God. The secret to Paul's strong finish might actually be summed up for us in verse 22. And you get an idea, or verse 24 rather, you get an idea of Paul's mindset in his heart where he says, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, what I want to do today might be considered somewhat of a difficult task, I don't know, but what I want to do today is try to convince you that what Paul says in verse 24 doesn't only apply to him, but it applies to each and every one of us here in this room, too. Paul said that he didn't count his life dear unto himself. Paul didn't consider his own life of any account. And the reason was in order that he might finish his course in the ministry that he'd received of the Lord. And Paul is saying this. To finish your course, to finish the race, he put his service to Christ even above his own very temporal, physical life. And in the same way, I want to encourage you to a life of full surrender to the Lord, to count service to Christ that we have received from the Lord above even life itself. And you might be thinking, well, that's fine for the Apostle Paul, or that's fine for those who've been called into the ministry or those who've been called to a mission field, etc. But I'm a church member. I'm a layman. Don't I fall into a different category? Well, I want to begin this afternoon with just this basic Bible truth. And this truth is this. In order for your life, friend, your course 
to be finished well, you have got to recognize that God has entrusted you with a ministry yourself. God has entrusted you with something. He's entrusted you with life, and he's entrusted you with a ministry yourself. Listen, there is no such thing in the Bible as a Christian without a ministry. Think on it. Think on it. There's no such thing as a Christian without a ministry. We've fallen into a wrong line of thinking if we think this, that it's the super committed ones who go into the ministry, the full-time ministry. Or it's, it's, the ones who, it's the ones who are gung-ho about serving God that are the full-time Christian servants. And every one of else of us, we just sort of putter around and we give the Lord our time when we've got it because we're just volunteers. That's the wrong kind of thinking. It's significant in the Word of God that every time the scriptures mention the subject of spiritual gifts that it's always in the context of each and every. Let me give you an example. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And look at verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove or live out what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Now here Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he says, we're many members, but we're one body. We all have different parts, and we all have different jobs. And the context of, of this Again, is spiritual gifts, and Paul lists out all of these different gifts. Some have this, and some have that, and some have that, and some have this. And the context is each and every one. You all have it. You all have something. That's what Paul's saying. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away into these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give unto you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. 
And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gift of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these work that one and self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Again, what's the context? Spiritual gifts, but every man. Right? This is in the context of a New Testament church. Every man. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. In verse 10, the Bible says here, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What does Peter say here? He says, as everyone has received a spiritual gift, employ it and use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So what's the point? What am I getting at here? I'm getting that at every Christian has received something from the Lord. You've been entrusted with a gift from God, and every Christian is going to give an account to God for his stewardship in using that for God's purposes. As Jesus taught in the parables in Matthew chapter 25 about the parable of the talents, you're going to give an account for what you've been entrusted with. So what's the point? Again, whether you work a job as a waiter, or you're an accountant, or you're a carpenter, or you're a plumber, or you're a housewife, if you're a Christian, you've got to see yourself more than just what you do in this temporal life. You've got to see yourself as a minister of God. You're in the ministry. God has given you something to use for his glory. But let me say this to you, and I want you to think on this as I say it. Ministry is not just a task or a sphere of service. It is a mentality or a way of thinking that permeates all of life. Ministry is a way of thinking that permeates every area of your life. Seeing yourself in the ministry means that you're available to God 24-7. This is my purpose. This is my ministry. This is my life. What gift has God given to you? What are your spiritual gifts? Are you using them? Are you using them for God's purposes? Are you available to the Lord 24-7? To use, God wants to use you to help others draw near to God. It may mean serving somebody else in a practical way by meeting a particular need. It also may mean that, you know what, you've gone through some hard trials in your life. You've experienced some, some hard things. 
and you've grown in your Christian life because of it, and you're navigating through, and you're understanding more about yourself, and so on, and I've grown in my Christian experience, and God now wants me to use that to now begin to help somebody else that I can relate to to walk through life too. I'm a servant of the Lord. The Lord has entrusted me with something. I'm to be a good steward of that. I'm available to God. Lord, what do you want out of my life? Whatever it is today, I'll do it. Because it permeates my life. It's a way of thinking. It may mean sharing the gospel with an unbeliever. It might mean encouraging a another brother or sister by being there to listen to their problems or sharing some helpful scriptures that were, were, were a blessing to you. It might mean that you minister through giving. It might mean that you minister through prayer. But whatever form it takes, ministry means not focusing on self, but on others and being available to God to work through your life for his glory. That's real simple. Like, oh, that really doesn't move me because I know that. Do you? Do you? Are you living it? That'll prove whether you really know it. Amen? You don't have to be called into full-time ministry, as it were, or a mission field, or a preacher of the gospel like I'm standing. You don't have to do that to be fully surrendered to the Lord. Your entire life needs to be permeated with the attitude of, Lord, I'm yours. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And that's going to take different forms for different people. And nobody can pressure another person into service of the Lord. That's something that you have to take on yourself because God did it. And you understand it in your life. You won't fulfill the ministry that God has given you if you aren't even aware of the fact that you actually are in the ministry. My friend, you are. And maybe you're thinking, well, I really do have a desire to serve the Lord, but I don't have it all together in my life, and I'm working on that. And I will at some point when I finally get things together. You might think that, but consider this second principle and this second thought about finishing your course. Number one, to finish your course, you've got to recognize that God has entrusted you with something. You are in the ministry. Number two, in order to finish your course, you've got to recognize that you are a conscript and not a volunteer. Now, look at verse 22, what Paul says back in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Paul says in verse 22, he says, Now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit, unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save this, that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying, 
that bonds and afflictions abide you. Now, what is Paul saying here? He says, I go bound in the Spirit. In other words, this is not something that I really have a a choice in or like I'm just taking this on for myself. This is something I'm compelled to do by the Spirit of God. Paul tells them, I'm bound in the Spirit on his way to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen, except I know that bonds and afflictions are going to abide me. Now, isn't that interesting? Because most of us would be like, oh, if I know the trouble that's coming, if I know what is gonna, what's ahead of me and what I'm going to face, I'm probably not going to choose that course. I'm probably not going to go that way. And I promise you, uh, if, if, if I am normal, like any other preacher, there's probably been a time in my life and in every other preacher's life where they have thought and they have felt, if I knew what this was going to be like, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't choose this for myself. But I don't have a choice because I'm compelled of the Lord. The things that Paul says here that he knew was coming didn't deter Paul or make him decide that, hey, you know what? (laughs) I've worked really hard in ministry. I've gone a long time. I've done a pretty good job. Maybe it's time for me to move on to that nice retirement community on the Aegean Sea where, where that's on a golf course where I can play golf the rest of my days. Why not? Why didn't Paul think that bonds and afflictions don't sound like such a happy future for me? I think I'll change course here, go for an easier course of life. Why didn't he? Because Paul didn't see himself as a volunteer. He didn't see himself as like, I get to choose this. And if I have time for you, Lord, when I'm feeling like it, then I'm going to serve you. He saw himself as someone who was under orders from the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was compelled. Do you understand that? Now, bond slaves are servants or slaves who choose to be, but they're still slaves under orders. Amen? In other words, Paul said, Paul said, I don't count my life dear to myself. I am bound in the Spirit. Paul said, I was saved by God to serve Him. I belong to Him. I'm under orders. He's my captain. And I'm going to follow Him. And so he sought to obey what he believed the Spirit of God was commanding him to do. But you know what? You say, okay, again, that's fine for Paul, an apostle, a preacher. But Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and then not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God saved you by his grace. What does the next verse say? For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto what? Unto good works. Why did God save you by his grace? To serve him. Amen? All too often, churches convey the wrong message. That we're looking 
for volunteers to serve Jesus. Any volunteers? You following me? The problem with that is, is you, the problem with that is it creates the idea that you actually can choose to serve. And if you can choose to serve, then you can also choose to unserve or quit if it isn't to your liking. Right? But you know what? As ones who've been chosen of God, technically, we really don't have a choice. If you get drafted, you serve in the army because you were chosen to. You might not like the food. You might not like your living quarters. You might not like where the army assigns you to go, but you serve anyway because you're under orders. But honestly, that's really in some ways how the Christian ought to view himself. Not because I'm, I'm oppressed and not because God is some vindictive God and who's got me under some. No, I want to be in the service of the Lord, but I realize that I belong to Him. I am bought with a price, and I'm to glorify God in my body and in my spirit, which belongs to Him. And that's why Paul said, I don't count my life dear to myself. I know what God saved me from, and I'm bound in the this is what God wants me to do. If Christ bought you with his blood, you belong to him. We're under orders. If the service isn't pleasant or fun, I'm still not free to quit. Now I could. I could walk away. I could go do something else. But I'll never, ever, number one, live up to what the Lord has chosen for my life. Number two, I'll never be happy or fulfilled or content in anything else in life if I'm not doing what the Lord has told me to do. I'll be saved. I'll see heaven one day. But there'll be a lot of regret because I should have done better should have done more, and I quit. And you know what? When I do, when I falter, when I quit, I'm failing of the grace of God. God enables by His grace to do what He's asking us to do. The point is, is that God provides it all for us, and, and we ought to see ourselves as not just a volunteer, Lord, I'll give you the time when I have it, but my entire life, 24-7, is yours. I'll do whatever you want. I'm not a volunteer. I'm actually under orders because he bought me with a price. Verse 24, notice it. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul didn't consider his own life dear unto himself. If following Christ meant hardship, and it meant slander, and it meant imprisonment, and it meant death, Paul settled that issue a long time ago and said, my life is not my own. But you know what? Again, 
there's a mistaken idea in Christian circles that there are two options in the Christian life. Now, this is a little satire, but I'll read it for you or give it to you so that you can kind of understand the mentality or the thinking. There are two options in the Christian life. The most popular option is this, to sign up, to go to church when it's convenient, to drop a few bucks in the offering plate now and then, but to go live the American dream of accumulating enough money and stuff to live a comfortable life. If you have the time, you might decide to volunteer at the church, but only if it's convenient. Your priority in life under this option is to enjoy yourself, to live a good life, and someday to retire and spend the last 15 years of your life driving around America in your motorhome or playing golf in sunny Arizona. Or you fill in the blank. How many Christian people live that way? That's their mindset. That's exactly how they see their life. We're going to go to church because we've got to do that. We'll drop a few bucks in the offering plate now and then. But in reality, what I'm trying to do is live the American dream. I'm trying to accumulate stuff. I'm trying to live a comfortable life. And when I have time, I'll give it to the Lord. Shame on you. Shame. 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 The second option is this. It's not so popular. It's only for the gung-ho types. Who probably, if they could, would have been Green Berets in the Vietnam War. In this option, you're admittedly something of a fanatic. You give up the American dream and any right to your own will in order to serve Jesus. You live a pared-down lifestyle. You give away your things for the Lord's work. Or you may even give up the comforts of America and go live in a difficult condition in some other country to reach people for Jesus. As a missionary... Nobody expects you to live at the same comfort level as the folks back home do. If you did, your commitment to the cause would be suspect. But the folks back home aren't called to the same level of commitment as you are. You're called to deny yourself because you're on the mission field. You're on the track of commitment. They've not been called to that. Go to Mark chapter 8 with me. Mark chapter 8. Look at verse 34. The Bible says in Mark 8, 34, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's the same shall save it. Jesus was speaking not only to his disciples here. 
He was speaking to the whole crowd. And when he called people to a life of following him, he is calling people to a life of radical self-denial to the point of death as taking up your cross implies. He was talking to everyone. You're going to follow me? It's going to cost you something. And you try to save this temporal life. You try to live it on the temporal plane and accumulate to yourself all of these things so that you can live this comfortable life. You're going to lose it. You're not going to find the joy, contentment, anything that you're looking for. No, Jesus says if you lose your life, you lay it down for my sake and the gospel's that's the one who's going to find what they're looking for. Joy, contentment in serving Christ. He's not talking to just his disciples. He's talking to all the people. And every follower of Jesus Christ, not just a few super committed ones, is called to this total, all out, lay down your life kind of commitment to Christ we got to live in light of eternity because that's what matters. Not the fleeting pleasures of this life only. The only way to live in light of eternity is to be totally abandoned in this life to Jesus Christ right here, right now, fully obedient to his will and the attitude of heart and mind, Lord, I am yours, whatever you want from me. You're going to finish your course you got to recognize that God has entrusted a ministry to you and that you're not a volunteer. You're actually under orders. Your life belongs to him, and you need to be obedient. The third thought, if you go back to Acts chapter 20, and we'll finish up with this, is that to finish your course, You've got to keep the finish line in view. To finish, you've got to keep the finish line in view. And what is that for the Apostle Paul? Notice what he said here in the last part of verse 24. He says, I want to finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord. And here it is, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. What was the bottom line for the Apostle Paul? His purpose was to preach the gospel. His purpose was to give the gospel. And then he goes on and he says, in verse 26, I take you to record this day, I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Paul said he needed to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Not everyone is called to be a preacher like I'm doing or a missionary like Noah George is. Not everybody's called to the same ministry like the Apostle Paul was. But with whatever gift God has entrusted to us, the bottom line is still the same. We must be faithful by our lives and by our words to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If our lives and our words betray the gospel of God's grace, Listen, in one sense, we are guilty of the blood of men. 
if our lives and our words bear witness to the gospel of grace, we're innocent of the blood of men. The ones that we've come in contact with or have been a witness to. And I'm simply saying this. Listen, your job, your job is to serve the Lord. But the bottom line is the way that you serve the Lord is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. That is what he wants you to do. Are you? Keep your eyes on the goal. Keep the main thing the main thing. Bear witness of the gospel of God's grace. The Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. It's not just a task to do. It's a mentality and a mindset. Of what my purpose is what I'm here for. Lord, I'm yours. Amen? Let me conclude with this story. John G. Patton was born in Scotland in 1824. He was reared in a godly home and came to a personal faith in Jesus Christ himself. As a young man, he worked in an inner-city mission in Scotland. But the Lord put it upon his heart to go as a missionary to the fierce cannibals of the New Hebrid Islands in the South Pacific. In 1839, the first missionaries to these islands had been clubbed to death, cooked, and eaten within just a few hours of landing on those islands. About 10 years later, some other missionaries had landed on another of the islands where the natives began to show an interest in their teaching. And ultimately, the Lord gave about 3,500 converts in a very short period of time. They needed a lot of help in the work. So, in 1857, just 18 years after the first martyrs had shed their blood on the beaches of the new hybrid islands, Patton strongly sensed God's call on his life to offer himself for service there. He immediately was met with strong opposition from many that knew him and loved him. They argued that he was leaving a certain ministry that God had obviously blessed for an uncertain future where he might throw his life away among cannibals. His converts needed him here. And besides, there was plenty of heathen at home to reach with the gospel. Why go halfway around the world to reach savages? He was even offered a free house and was told to name his salary on condition that he would stay at home. But these temptations only served to confirm his calling to go to the South Pacific. Among the many who sought to deter him, was an old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument was always this. The cannibals. The cannibals. You're going to be eaten by cannibals. And after some time of hearing this argument, Patton replied with this. He said, Mr. Dickinson, 
you're advanced in years now. And your own life is soon to be laid in the grave. There, you're going to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of my risen Redeemer. Patton went on to serve. He ended up losing his wife and infant son within a few months of his arrival. He lived almost daily in danger of his life. But God spared him, and he lived to be the age of 83 years old, spending his final years traveling around the world trying to raise support for the mission. And late in life, he said this, Oh, that I had my life to begin again. I would consecrate it anew to Jesus Christ in seeking the conversion of those remaining people in the New Hybrid Island. After it was all over, he said, If I had to do it again, I would do it again with vigor. Even after losing my wife and my son, he finished his course. And he finished his course well because he put the ministry that he had received from the Lord above his own very life. We need to do the same thing. My life is for the Lord. Whatever he wants from me, I'll do. Whatever he wants me to give up, I'll give up. Whatever he wants me to gain, I'll gain. Is that really how you live, friends? Is that how you see your life? Or do you see it as belonging to you? And you've got your goals, and you've got your ambitions, and you've got these things that you're striving for, And here's service to the Lord over here. But these are the main things. You understand what I'm saying? By God's grace, let's reverse that. This is my life. All of these other things are up to the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you'd use the word and the message to encourage to a life of full surrender to the Lord. Whatever thou wilt have me to do. Maybe it means preaching the gospel. Maybe it means leaving a good job. Maybe it means surrendering to the ministry full time. Maybe that's what it means. But maybe it just means, Lord, I belong to you. You've placed me here. I'll serve you faithfully. I'm yours, just tell me what you want me to do. And to live daily with the mindset that I am in the ministry. And there are souls of men all around me 
that the Lord wants me to reach with the gospel. I am in the ministry. God has given me spiritual gifts. And as the word of God says, as I have opportunity, I ought to do good unto all men, especially they of the household of faith. I am in the ministry. My life belongs to you. Lord, I pray that this would be the heart and mindset. Lord, help us to live in this mindset. And not just see our Christian service as a task to do. Speak to hearts as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our